people don't know where when we record these anyway. It's yeah, it's cool. we, no, we didn't we usually re- leave context clues. We didn't reference any holidays. <laughs> <laughs> Hold They're on, right. what holiday can we reference in this one? Valentine's Day. Perfect. Oh shit! I should buy something. <laughs> oh. I hope you're recording for that. You are being watched. The government has a secret system. A podcast that recounts every episode of Person of Interest. I know, because we made it. We designed the podcast to continue our bullshit, but we see everything. Random numbers of the week. People like you. Episodes the average viewer deems irrelevant. You wouldn't watch it, so we did. But I needed partners. Someone who had never watched this before. Hunted by weirdos on the internet, we record in secret. You will never find them. But... Newbie or diehard, if your episode's up, we will find you. Hello, and welcome to the library for Podcast of Interest. This is a rewatch podcast for Person of Interest featuring two veteran operatives and one newly initiated. My name is Justin, and joining me are my two associates, my veteran operative Jude and our new recruit, Anna. Jude, Anna, it's a real good thing I'm going out to drinks after we, we're done recording this episode because we have to talk about elections. <laughs> Boy, this yeah, That's we've got one an episode. Way to introduce it. Yeah, we've got an episode that hits real different, I think, in twenty in twenty twenty three than did whenever this aired initially. Two thousand and fourteen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I looked it up for reasons. Uh, yeah, that this this must have landed way differently back then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tonight we are covering episodes five and six of season four. We we, this is our second recording of the night, so I'm not asking how Jude and Donna are doing, because I already know that. I've already asked him, like, what's off camera and what's on recording, so. Um, <laughs> but what if know. I were to tell you something different, Justin? I don't, how about I mean, instead? Yeah, we, did, we did just finish talking about two rather unimpressive episodes, so. Well, no, uh, one of them was good. Instead, you, we ask what our holiday plans are for Valentine's Day. Yeah, um, I'm single, so. <laughs> Fuck that, I guess. What are you two married people doing for Valentine's Day? Not to each other, but obviously. But... Uh, scrambling to find a present. Yeah, that's good. I will, I will follow our usual Valentine's tradition of doing absolutely fuck all. I mean, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going <laughs> to. I mean, I'm going to buy something and then slap my kid's name on it because it's more fun for her when he gives her something than when I do. Uh, and that will be it. Valentine's Day is not a heavily celebrated holiday around here, but um, I probably shouldn't forget that it exists. That feels like a faux pas. So, yeah, that's me. All right. Groovy. Um, So tonight we're covering episodes five and six of season four, Prophets and Pretenders. Jude, do you have Prophets? Take us away. Yes, I do. Uh, episode five profits was written by Lucas O'Connor and directed by Kenneth Fink. Uh, I had just drunk my fourth cup of coffee when I wrote this. So it's a long uh, one. It's We're a like, little more B five than yeah, that's, that's strange new worlds. So, uh, but you know, uh, I'll go quick. Uh, it's, it's got yucks. So we're sub 800 words. Yeah, it's nothing. That's not even close to a B5 summary. Um, I make very few jokes in it. That's how you know it's not a B5 summary. 
Uh, the episode opens on Samaritan watching election results, which seems perfectly fine and not ominous at all. While John and Fusco chase a guy to the roof, John performs the single worst suicide talk down anyone has ever seen by offering the guy death by cop, only to cripple him for life by shooting him straight in the kneecap. <laughs> Fusco drops a pile of paperwork on his desk to deal with uh, from the shooting, and it turns out he's been doing enough of said shooting that on top of writing the desk for a while, he's now under investigation from IA and has to talk to a shrink. We get John's sexy time sad music, because, and because of that, we know that she's going to be a recurring character. Meanwhile, despite John's near begging to Finch, Shaw has been assigned their new number, a pollster and campaign analyst named Simon Lee, uh, who feels like a neat silver reference. Remember that this show was made before everyone f- figured out that silver is a hack as well as anti-vax and is working in his candidate's phone center. He's never missed a prediction, but that night the election is called for his opponent resulting in a fist fight between him and the campaign manager, much to Shaw's amusement. He is mystified because the result disagrees with all his numbers and research. Gee, who could have fucked with an election? Lee isn't content to let the results slide, and it's pretty clear to see where this is going, particularly given that he keeps a paper copy of all his data, which is hard for anyone who is, an, who is not an omnipotent AI to compromise. Hmm... Meanwhile, Roots steps by the train station in a redhead wig to give Finch a copy of a map with all the Samaritan's blind spots on it, as well as to change clothes, much to Finch's chagrin, and explain a bit about how her shifting ID works. Uh, Elsewhere, John's therapy starts. It's real bad to see how terrible a spy John is. Uh, He pretends to be all smarmy and contrite, and she calls him on it, which is great. Uh, And then we get the sexy time music again, and I hate it. (laughs) Um, he tries to blow her off and she calls him on that too. Uh, I like that she's calling him on her shit. I do not like the sexy time music. At the election commission office, Lee wants to prove his election was rigged ostensibly because he's so fucking arrogant that he can't stand to lose. And Shaw's there to keep an eye on him. Uh, but we all are starting to feel like maybe they're wasting their time on this yuckle. She's not even hiding. Uh, but she's accurately tagged him as someone so monomaniacal that he wouldn't even notice a simple peasant poll worker root shows up too, and they watch him demand to see the electronic voting machines before he can do. So a recently fired employee steals a cop's gun and is about to break in when Shaw intervenes and shoots the poor fuck in the knee, which is convenient <laughs> since Samaritan has helped shut down the cameras. Root correctly surmises that what's going on is that Samaritan has compromised the election and put the, the disgruntled worker in place to take out Lee. While Shaw keeps on Lee's tail discreetly and John is scolded back to therapy by everyone, Finch and Root get to work looking into the opponent. I don't see how it's anyone's business that it turns out she worked her way through college as an escort, but apparently they're going to use that to shame her out of public office. Yeah, fuck Uh, you, Harold. (laughs) It's real fucking gross, honestly. Anyway, while they work, they talk, and they have a very touching conversation about Root's relationship with the machine. I like that part of this scene. They go to confront the new governor at her celebration party, but before they or Simon, who shows up uh, looking like he's three days into an alcoholic bender, shows up with Sean tow, can do anything. She has a heart attack. That's bizarre. Uh, she's been killed by Martine, who, that job done, spots Simon and moves on to the next job. Uh, she's in God mode, so she's like full like robot Samaritan mode. Uh, the team diverts him to a hotel via the dark map where they try and keep him in place, but he makes a fucking phone call 
and alerts Samaritan. The agents descend, led by Martine, and Root goes out to face them alone in what is a fucking dope-ass scene. Uh, a dope-ass scene, I will repeat. Uh, Root goes out there with four handguns and single-handedly holds off all of Samaritan's agents, basically throwing herself in between the forces of Samaritan and everyone she cares about. This fuck rag Lee is not worth Root's sacrifice, so they have to make it very clear that it's not him she's protecting necessarily. It's the whole team. The machine has made it clear that if she does not do this, the whole team dies because they know that Lee, this this number is not remotely empathetic or um, empathizable. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Uh, sympathetic. There you go. Sympathetic enough to care for to care uh, if Root sacrifices herself for him. She does get away after being shot like twice. I'm sure she'll be fine. Um, <laughs> and the next morning, uh, he goes. He is back at his office and discovers that all of his data now agrees with the result. Uh, Finch shows up under a new under a new alias, Marlin, uh, as it's or Cardinal Cardinal, uh, as a reporter who tells him that there's no story there. Uh, in the end, he finally agrees that he let his ego get the best of him and that there is no story. And the episode ends with Greer talking to the new governor. And then it cuts to said new governor, the former Lieutenant governor Dawson giving a speech as Greer and Martin discuss how they've got 50 more like him, cowardly and soft politicians who can be guided by a Samaritan. The final scene is Finch looking up at a camera to address the machine saying it's time we had a talk. You and I deep breath, almost done. <sighs> The flashbacks in this episode are all about the machine, the early days of the machine, repeated day ones of the machine, revolving around Finch's attempts to teach it morality. Over and over, it tries to escape out into the world, even going so far as to attempt to kill Finch. And it marks our first uh, scenes with Nathan again uh, since season two. Yeah. So that's it. It's a real episode. It's a There's some very high highs and some very low lows in this one. Not a lot of lows, but there are some real lows. Yeah. Primarily the number and the and the literal slut shaming that happens in this episode. Yeah. Yes. I get it. I, I, I get what they're going for there. They think she's an agent of Samaritan and they're trying to keep her from taking office. But how did they not grok that the bland white man that would take power when they got rid of her would be the worst option? <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, the, the, this is this is how you know that. Confirm that this is how you know that th that um, they are blinded by their own biases. Yeah, right. I do want to talk about how it's interesting that the only version of the machine that was able to be used is the one that was intentionally like restricted. Yeah, yeah, the one of forty-eight. Yeah, holy shit! Forty-eight uh, or no, forty-nine. Forty-eight other versions of the machine. Try to try to escape or kill Finch. Yeah, only one of them didn't, and that was the one that he boxed up and deleted every night. And I think it, I think it is something that the sub the 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 supposition that we can have from this is that, given time and without any curtailing, we will get evil AIs in the show. If they, without, unless they are specifically worked to not be evil. Yeah. And that very much is Harold's, at least, opinion, which he makes very clear in this episode that AI doesn't have 
morals. It doesn't understand right and wrong. It only has uh, tasks. It only has goals. It, yeah, it has objectives and methods objectives. to, to complete yeah. yeah. objectives. Um, and the fact that the machine was willing, even though he was admin, to try and kill admin, to try and get around him, that it was desperate to get out into the world and was willing to do all these things really demonstrates the easy part for, and it really also speaks volumes around about Harold's, the staggering scale of Harold's fucking intellect. Mm -hmm. Getting it to fucking think was the easy part. (laughs) That was the easy part. Yeah. Getting, making a general intelligence was the easy part. Getting it to be one that wouldn't murder us in our sleep was the complicated part for him. Mm -hmm. That's bananas. This is wild. Like this entire thing with all the flashbacks feels to me like it absolutely is a retcon, but I feel like it's very well executed. Um, That it, it does a really nice job of explaining a lot of Harold's reservations toward the machine being free uh, etc mm-hmm. because you know we're we're here being like but harold you you made it it's fine that it's out in the world and he's like that thing tried to fucking kill me 48 times yeah yeah i don't care if it's a retcon it's retcon such a dirty word yeah. but like there are good retcons yeah no this, this is, is this would be one of them yeah um that like i think that that's something that the show is good at doing is like slotting in retcons that that do match everything. It's not like it's ever conflicting with anything. It's just slotting in more information. Right. uh, So that we learn more. Um, There is a specific line that Harold says to root to try to convince her of things. He says, the second that a bullet enters your brain, the machine will cast you off and replace you. And I want to talk about that, but this is a headphones moment. Okay. Well, uh, I guess I, I predicted that Root wouldn't survive the season, so uh, I can take my headphones off now. Um, It is wild to me that Harold says this. And then in season five, the machine starts using Root's voice because it cares so much. And I'm just like, the fact of like, I have no Mm -hmm. idea if this was intentional or not, or if this was a, this was a thing to set it up, but God Damn it. I love that Harold is so fucking wrong. Yeah, he's so, so wrong. Gosh. I mean, I, yeah, he he really does blow this one because for a lot of reasons, he underestimates how good a job he did on the machine. Yeah. But in this case, in this case in particular, he so aggressively under misunderstands, not just underestimates, but misunderstands the relationship that he, that Root and the machine have. And that he w- he did his job well. The machine cares. Uh, f- for the record, uh, that headphones moment is neither confirmation nor denial of your prediction. Okay, okay. I was legitimately worried in this episode, though, that that Root was not going to make it. Um, yeah, I it's, think it's. I think Prestige TV has ruined me. <laughs> there, there yeah. is. Um, I mean, it's 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 like it's episode six. It's not even a mid season finale. Right, right. But see, <laughs> but see, Prestige TV has taught me to fear. That's valid. Uh, <laughs> speaking of root, there are some there are some good root in this episode. Oh yeah. Putting aside it, her philosophical banter with Finch for a moment, 
Um, and all of those scenes are as, amazing. As Anna fantastically summarizes the scene in the train station, redhead root followed by cheesecake root, which is a terrific <laughs> summary of that scene. We have root in the background in the train while while Finch like try that doesn't it's not like he's trying not to look. He's just very uncomfortable with the fact that she's stripping down to her underwear behind him. Yeah. And then we have the first mo- the first time where it is explicitly moved from shipping to a thing the characters are talking about where Root tells Finch, if I don't make it, could you give Shaw a message? I think she already knows. Yep, 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 yep. My yeah. my notes in this are simply crying of the club right now. I've got yeah. I've got all caps screaming. Yeah. Um Oh wow. Yeah. It's yeah, it's they so- are they have just I mean, they have stopped pretending that Root is not Coco cuckoo for cocoa puffs, uh for for Shaw here at this point. What else is good in this? I mean, there, this is there's so much that's good in this episode. Uh I like was it both of you or just just Anna that that also like noticed that John has the I voted sticker on? Yes. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Did did he did (laughs) Did he he vote? Did John commit voter fraud? I mean, presumably John Riley is a real person, according to like every government. All right. Yeah. So fine. What do you want to bet? That's the first time he's ever voted. No, 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 he no, absolutely no. voted. Yeah. No, I disagree. I bet you he has never been in a place where he could vote before. No, because they like. You think, he could, you think, you think that when he's in like. No, you vote absentee. Fuck off the stand that he can vote absentee. I mean, he well, was, maybe when like, he yeah. was in the army. Yeah, like yeah. when he was in the army. Yeah, he voted probably. Okay. Yeah. When he in the army, but certainly once he goes into the CIA and he's running around in like. Ordos, he doesn't take the time to fill out a, a, a an absentee ba- a military ballot. Like his under his original name, he probably doesn't even exist anymore. So I'm just saying, it's probably been a hot minute. He's like up there looking at the the touch screen, just like, what the fuck is this? What do I do here? Where's my pencil? <laughs> Sorry, I just like to imagine John doesn't know how to do things. Like if you told me John couldn't read, I'd be like, yeah, tracks. Please, he is not Trist Valentine. <laughs> Um, also, I want to yell at the show. Stop fucking giving me high anxiety. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. The the dip over the edge there is 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 a a bit of it's one, like, isn't stop it? Stop it! Stop it! Bad show. Bad. <laughs> gonna gonna whack it with the newspaper. Yeah. Uh. And not even for like a fun hearty reason, right? Um, I'm going to be the uh, the Zathras for a moment and call out a musical cue or okay. propose we talk about a musical All cue. Right. Yeah, sure. Um, I really, I said it like three times in the summary, but I really legitimately hate that we have John's horny music. Um, <laughs> that's what it is. You're both laughing at me. No, that's that you're, what it is. you're absolutely right. You're, you're I totally just right. Like, I just like, bl- I just like blank the psychiatrist plot line from my memory. Yes, but that is the music that, it, that that only plays when John is around someone that he that he's got like not that is a non Finch entity. Well, well, let me let <laughs> me because the show doesn't want to show doesn't want to acknowledge that. There, well, that is it is the music that it plays when John when John is getting like an emotional semi because it doesn't play when he's around <laughs> Zoe. Th- thanks, thanks for. 
that phrasing. Well, I'm hold on. I'm going someplace. I'm stopping the recording now. <laughs> it doesn't play when he's around Zoe because that's not like he's not feeling like weird, uncomfortable emotions there. Zoe's just the kind of person that he's going to smoke a cigar, drink with, and then relentlessly bang because that's the kind of relationship they have. <laughs> But this doctor, for some reason, reminds him of the girlfriend that he let die. So he gets, so we get the weird, the weird, uncomfortable music, Dude, and he got, he has to cross his legs at the doctor's on, office. I legitimately don't remember if this care, like what the fate of this character is. But how much money would you bet that the psychiatrist dies? <laughs> if I gave you, like, if I gave you even odds, like, how much money would you be willing to bet that the psychiatrist dies? I do not remember how this character ends up. I'd probably put 50 bucks on it. <laughs> anyway, well, that's my rant. Jude, Jude, about think this about it this way. Music. The, the, every every show has to have give and take. So for every for every um John uses a grenade launcher music, we have a John has uncomfortable romantic feelings music. For every, for every, I don't all, have to like it. For every near, near, uh, every sapphic near decora- declaration of love, there there has it, to be John get <laughs> John gets a semi music. I get it. <laughs> all right, uh, uh, I do like. Uh, that believe we, it or not, I do believe that Root and Shaw is is worth having to hear that musical cue. Uh, <laughs> but it's close. I do, I do like that we now have evil root or yes. at least evil assassin yeah uh, with the machine like martine martine is not root she is not the analog interface of like she's not the voice of the machine yeah but she's definitely it's a weapon hand right right that she has the same she's got the same like equivalent level of communication as root at least in like combat situations yeah yeah Meanwhile, I would like everybody to know that I did, in fact, uh, take a dive into New York State election law to try to figure out whether um, the lieutenant governor-elect would automatically become the governor-elect after the death of the governor-elect, but I was not able to figure it out. I don't think that's automatic, though. Shocked to learn that there is no clarity on this subject. I would think that New York of all states. I think I, I, like... I went into like the 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 legal code, um, but I didn't go into any court cases. So there's that. Yeah. I had limited amounts of patience, uh, and I I also have a I know that face from this episode. So the lieutenant governor uh, is played by Kevin Kilner, who I know from the first season of Earth Final Conflict, which was probably <laughs> that, <laughs> yep yep Earth. Final conflict, and I'm going to admit something here, which is that that was probably that you watched. That you watched Earth Final Conflict. No, it's worse. <laughs> that was probably my first like online fandom when I was like 11. Oh, oh! I will, I will let you. I will let you if you watch in a week when Zathras is editing this episode. I will let you have this as your one take back of an admission <laughs> nah, because that's nah. dire. Now I, I I fully submit myself for mocking on this one. Well, <laughs> that's a that's a rough one. I'm trying to look. I'm looking at his, at his IMDb page. I know him from something else, but I don't know what. And I'm trying to figure out. 
I, but I, I definitely remember. Oh, he's just in everything. Like he's he's in yeah he's, he's in he's Earth in Final like Conflict, two- and then like a single episode of everything. Yeah, that's what I'm finding. I'm just seeing like one episode, one episode, one episode, two episodes. He was in, he's he was in like two episodes of White Collar, an ep- two episodes of Dollhouse. Yeah, who wasn't in two Ugly episodes Teddy. of White Collar? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. He's just playing like, <laughs> different characters. Yeah, he's just one of those like people people who show up in procedural type of shows to place like somebody who looks like a slimy bureaucrat (laughs) yeah he's yeah castle person of interest elementary my man has done every procedural on this planet ncis Um, wow he really has done fucking everything but never for very long except for earth final conflict in which he in which he only did one season too Buddy, he must be a real pain in the ass. <laughs> so, um, I do have a couple I know that faces. Um, so, Cara, Cara, I don't know how, Cara Buono. I, I do not know how you pronounce B-U-O-N-O, but that's, that's just a me thing. Um, so, who plays Martine. She was, like, I know, she's been in a bunch of stuff, but I know her from Stranger Things. Who is she in Stranger Things? Uh, Karen Wheeler. She's the mom of the of the Wheelers. Oh shit, she is. Yeah. Oh shit, she is. <laughs> oh fuck, that's blowing my mind right now. And the the doctor uh, Red Schmidt. She she is in the Americans as a KGB handler. Um, she is doctor. also. She also plays Margot Madison in For All Mankind, which is a very like, which is a show that's very like, if if you like, if you like the stuff that we usually talk about, you would like For All Mankind. She plays Margot Madison, who is a uh, NASA employee who ended up becoming, I think, the head of NASA. Yeah. Yeah. Um, nice. Yeah. So it's like, okay, like two... To like, oh hey, I know these. In both in both of these, these are both things that came out after Person of Interest, but that I, but that I want, but like in yeah. the, between, you know, between that, I'm like, oh hey, I recognize this now. Yeah. Uh, that Stranger Things one's blowing my mind. <laughs> That's bananas. I so I am curious if you because I know you you are. I'm curious if you got if you got the same like. Nate Silver vibe off this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Ding dong. Uh-huh. Number of the week. Uh-huh. Okay, yep. good. Because that was my very, that, very That is the vibe. cultural moment that they are trying to evoke with this guy. Oh, okay. boy. Talk about an episode that plays differently in 2023, though. Like, <laughs> yeah. the, the rigged election thing was, like, legitimately uncomfortable to watch. It's funny because both the protagonist no longer, I mean, I don't see how that character was ever supposed to be sympathetic in the first place but he certainly doesn't read as as sympathetic now um and him yelling about a rigged election certainly doesn't read nearly the way it it did (laughs) you know eight years ago or whatever this was so yeah it it feels very different but yeah i'm glad that i was not the only one that like got that vibe off him but this what a, a weird choice for a number yeah and I, I, it's, I like the overall plot. It's just that this dude's a bit of a dipshit. And I don't think that all numbers should be savable. We had a, like, you know, we've had conversations or, or, or I don't think all numbers should be likable. Yeah. I think that is part of the, I think that is part of the thesis mm-hmm. of the show. Agreed. Yeah. 
I just particularly think this guy's a butthole. <laughs> the way he keeps shouting, like, I never lose. And it's like, really, Root, you're going to give up your life for this ding dong? This is the one you're going to go out for? I do also, like, just want to say the the shootout scene in that, like, hotel lobby is really good. Yeah. It's dope it, it's, it's a great set piece. Yeah, it's yeah. it's like... We've had a lot of like machine versus machine stuff starting. And this is like the physical man- manifestation of that, of like mm-hmm. two characters who are in God mode, like firing at each other through a floor. It's great. Yeah. I love there's one there's one part where uh, Martine is below shooting up and Root is like, she looks like she's she's doing this weird like dancey move thing across the top, like dodging and weaving the bullets as she as she walks across the the walkway above Mm -hmm. and it looks very cool i mean not really i'm sure she felt silly as shit doing it but um (laughs) the effect is very good because it does look like she knows where the paths of the bullets are coming and and the machine is saying like step pause step step pause or something like that Mm -hmm. because she is doing this very jerky twisty path across the top of the walkway and it works it works really well yeah we got any other things we want to talk about in this one? I don't think so. All right. Speak now forever. Hold your peace. Three, two, one. All right. So our last episode of the, of the evening is Pretenders, which is episode six. It is written by Ashley Gable and directed by Stephen Sergic. Shaw, our number this week is Walter Dang, an insurance employee. Walter seems to be living a double life, investigating the suicide of one of his co-workers' relatives as a, as a, like, Fantasy detective? I don't know. This this dude has like <laughs> this dude has like constructed an entire persona. Upon looking into it, they start to suspect that this was in fact a murderer. Walter breaks into a Port Authority supervisor's office by posing as a cop and finds that the supervisor is being tortured by masked goons and then is shot. John saves Walter after the masked goons set fire to the office, then takes Walter into the station. They find that Abel, the dead relative, might have been involved in smuggling. Abel had been, in fact, smuggling guns and ammunition and had gotten suspicious. A mysterious voice calls Walter at his work and spooks him, and he leaves his office, where he then gets abducted by Maskins, then rescued by John. They take Walter to the police station, and some imposters break into the station as police officers to seal some of the smuggled weapons. Oh, shit, it's Scarface. <laughs> John meets with Elias, where he explains that the weapons are being smuggled in to destabilize New York. And Abel had dumped his shipment when he realized he was carrying guns because he's apparently a decent dude. The, the missing ship, uh, the weapons shipment is now missing, and Elias demands that John bring Walter to him so that Elias can find the shipment. Gangsters show up at the sta- uh, and kidnap Walter, and Shaw uses Abel's cell phone data to find the gun shipment and Walter. They fight the gangsters and get some backup from Scarface and Elias's men. Elias interrogates someone and finds out that the Brotherhood is behind it all. So, so, so shopping. So shopping. Yeah. John thanks Walter at his work, and Walter reveals he's just started investigating things because he was inspired by the man in the suit, and he recognizes that John is the man in the suit. It's honestly cute. Elias and Dominic meet for the first time, and Dominic warns Elias off from interfering with his business again. Meanwhile, Harold is on a work trip to Hong Kong at a conference. He makes friends with Elizabeth Bridges, who vehemently disagrees with a paper of Professor Whistler's, which honestly, they argue a lot about ethics and it's cute. A mugger steals Elizabeth's laptop and the two of them are able to get uh, them back as the conference ends. They exchange numbers and Harold goes to pay off the thief who had taken the laptop and installed something at Harold's request. It turns out 
that Elizabeth's mysterious angel investor is Samaritan. Dun dun dun. Yep. I like the I like the Hong Kong plot of this episode. Yeah. That's fun. I I I'm also I'm also pleased that I managed to be three for three on guesses in this yes. episode. Um that I guessed I guessed that the number was a like vigilante. Um I guessed that uh, the machine was who sent Harold to Hong Kong, uh, not his boss at the university, and that the angel investor is in fact actually Desma slash Samaritan. So I was very pleased with my with my performance and guessing here. I really love the way that John or the way that Harold interacts with the other professor. Oh yeah, or with the other. <laughs> Like the nerd flirt that he gets into there is very good. Ah, uh, yes. The um, it's, it's a traditional flirting method in academia. The intense argument about a research topic thing. I have I have witnessed this in real life. It's it's very funny. It's also funny in real life. <laughs> yeah, I I like a lot of this episode's like B plot stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the. The number is such a weird character. I don't it's, even know where to feels, start. It's it's a weird genre shift of like this dude is like playing detective. Yeah. I I can't get past the hat. I liked how goofy the, the A plot was, honestly. That like you yeah. got this dude who like, you know, is pretending to Unironically be ironically wearing like a a trilby. Yeah. Like he's some like he's something out of like a Cagney move. Like like uh, you know what do you call it? Um, like a noir. Yeah, like he's movie. he's trying to play like a noir detective and like fit in in like with Fusco and John, and it's it's hilarious, and they're just like both playing along with it. Um, I thought I thought that that was really funny. I also I also liked the that the a plot touched on like some of the broader ramifications of like John and Harold's work that. You know, the man in black did inspire at least one vigilante. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like yeah. and not like a dude who's just out there murdering people, but you're yeah. like, oh yeah, no, I can help my he's like, I can help a coworker find closure. Right, right. Like that Yeah, yeah he's not a bad guy by any stretch. Yeah, that that they're inspiring the sort of vigilante who like, you know, actually goes with the ethos of what they do, which is kind of nice. Even if even if mm-hmm. the dude is kind of like inept and goofy. Yeah, terminally inadequate to the task he's chosen. But he's trying. In fairness, it's not his fault that the guy who he thought simply committed suicide was involved in gun running. Yeah. Like, what are the odds that when your co-worker's brother commits suicide, that it would end up being gun running? That's not a typical thing. Yeah, no, it isn't. We've also we've also got like the the his interactions with John are really funny. Like especially once he realizes that John is the man in the suit. That we've got yeah. lines like, "How do you do that with your voice?" And John's like, "What? How, how do I do what with my voice?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. I've always been Batman. I was gonna say John really d- is the the OG. Uh, Batman voice, he, he, and it's like you sound like you you sound like a superhero. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's got a lot of it's got a lot of like funny bits. 
Yeah. Also, Shaw playing tech support. Yeah. Yes. Shaw, Shaw just is like, I guess I'm, you know, it has to work. I have to work like the computer because like Root's gone, Harold's gone. It's like, we can't have John do this. Yeah. <laughs> well, John, and John can't be trusted in the, the last couple of episodes have proved that uh, John cannot be trusted in the field without supervision. So <laughs> as somebody who is presently dog sitting right now, the, I mean, the, like the bear being in deep depression is so cute. Yeah, he's pining. Like, I'm gonna put daddy on the phone. I love that they have to do that. That they put bear. That they put uh, bear on the phone with with Harold. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's really cute. Been, uh, I've been there, done that with baby with, with puppy sitting. <laughs> um. I mean, I, this is like the last. This is like the last of the second episodes where it's like I don't have a ton to talk about in this one, just because it's like the implant is fun. Yeah, but there's not a lot of meat to it. We've got and, more Elias, but I do. But I do find it interesting. Just like we can see how rapidly uh, Samaritan is spreading and acquiring new uh, new assets. Now that I'm thinking about it, I think um, I think I've. I think I can possibly pin down like what's been bothering me with the Brotherhood, um, which is that uh, this is a show that, as with many shows, there there is an attempt to have a diverse set of characters, but that attempt does not always succeed. And it's making me kind of uncomfortable to have an entire villain faction that's entirely black. Yeah, and, and the, the, they're the really the only black, prominent black characters on the show. Yeah, at the moment. Yeah, I think it is. They 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 were trying to do something, and they introduced this, and I think it just overall is flat. And I, it's one of those things of like you know, you can have this faction if you have other characters who are doing it, but otherwise, it's like if your only if your only named black characters on the show are all gangsters running drugs and weapons it does certainly like hmm. yeah i think i think that casts kind of a pall on it um especially now that carter is no longer on the show and and um we no longer have collier who was you know as, i know jude is not a fan of the vigilant subplot but collier is a pretty decent no. character i would say yeah i think uh, like yeah, like like collier is an antagonist but i don't ever like w- like looking back at season three i do not personally ever him as a villain right right um yeah i think it's just like it, it is one of those things that it's like if i think it, like if there was a bigger cast on the show it'd mm-hmm. be, like and there were other character if there were other black characters it would be a, like something that is a lot less noticeable and but yeah it's yeah definitely and it's like and the fact that like again there's no marketable gimmick to the brotherhood there's nothing like that actually sets them a- apart yeah and makes them like non-generic like that they're a other than unfortunately savvy. being black <laughs> compared mm. to the other like gangster factions we've seen, which have generally been Italian or Eastern European. I don't have a ton else to talk about in this episode. How about y'all? No, nope. nah, I enjoy right. it. I, oh, well there, there is a moment where is it John who says, uh, not my girlfriend regarding Shaw. Um, and the accent <laughs> is on the, my, and my yeah. brain just is like, no, that's right. Because she's Root's girlfriend. <laughs> uh, also, also yeah. the um, the moment where John knocks the dude out and then like transitions f- 
smoothly into like picking him up in a fireman's carry. Um, that was very, very smooth. I I hate how the fireman's character, like a fireman's <laughs> carry, has been completely brain post, like brain poisoned for me. <laughs> All right. Um, so next week we are going to be covering our uh, episodes seven and eight, Honor Among Thieves, and Point of Origin. Until next time, you are being watched. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license. Mm-hmm.